Welcome to this week's episode of Entertainment Geekly, Entertainment Weekly's guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and generally awesome. This week we'll be talking about the return of Game of Thrones, the debut of Brian K. Vaughn's new comic book saga, which is appropriately enough called Saga. Uh, we'll also be discussing The Hunger Games. I'm Darren Franich of Entertainment Weekly, and with me is Jeff Jensen. Darren, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Jeff. How are you? You know, I'm doing okay, and I, um, I have a promise for our listeners this week, which is I promise 10% less likes and you knows in my, in my speech, you know? Mm-hmm. I totally get you. Like, I think maybe, you know, um, now that we've established the proper tone, uh, let's just dive into <laughs> let, let's dive into the, the geekish news of the week. Uh, first things up, um, Game of Thrones has its second season premiere this Sunday. Uh, I'm very excited. I've read all of the George R.R. Martin books, and uh, I have to say that I was pleasantly surprised with how well uh, the, the, the show turned out last season. I mean, it ha- had kind of a rocky beginning, and obviously I think it's still sort of finding its uh, its own particular voice, but uh, I, I wound up really enjoying it. What's, what's your view on the whole uh, Game of Thrones phenomenon, Jeff? Darren, I never got past those first episodes. They were, <laughs> they were rocky enough for me that I just kind of went shrug. Mm-hmm. Um, this, uh, this genre of fantasy, to be perfectly candid with you, has just never been one that I've really, really loved, um, never really liked. Um, Guys with long, flowing, furry robes uh, hulking across a snowy, depressing landscape with huge scabbards fighting each other and monsters in the woods. Um, So, so, so basically, you don't like so you don't like the Sean Bean genre of fantasy is 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 what you're saying. You don't like you know like like these sort of gruff uh, you know British or Irish accented guys with beards swinging swords at at each other. That's not really your 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 thing. I don't really like the scruffy beard and sword uh, form of fantasy. But look, I'm being sarcastic, (laughs) uh, which is I I I never yeah I, I didn't really get into Game of Thrones. Um, I understand it got a lot better as it went along. It sounded like it had some amazing dramatic high points late in the season and that it's a, a slightly different kind of serialized storytelling that maybe I, I really appreciate. But it does honestly deal with a, with an area of fantasy that I've never been a big fan of. Never read the books, don't want to read the books, don't care about the books. Um, and that guy hates Lost. So mm-hmm. he's on my list. Just kidding. <laughs> Um, well, so speaking of, of fantasy, uh, I'm kind of intrigued to see what you think about uh, Brian K. Vaughn's saga, because the, the, that's a, that's a, that's a uh, fantasy tale, correct? Love it. Now, here is a genre of fantasy that I really like, and that the first issue of this comic is superb. Um, it, it feels to me like Brian K. Vaughn basically took everything geeky that he likes from the worlds of science fiction and from the worlds of fantasy and blended them together in this really great epic stew that captures his unique storytelling voice. If you read things like Why the Last Man or Ex Machina or any of his comic book stuff, I mean, he's managed to find winningly this sort of like great blend of, of, of his very contemporary voice, but using very classic like science fiction and fantasy tropes. And he makes it really fun. You get the sense you're in a really deep world. It posits this sort of crazy universe where the forces of magic and the forces of technology are at war with each other. But it isn't like the forces of fantasy are, I mean, I'm sorry, forces of magic are just, you know, like, you know, holy 
um, magical. Like they have they have technological elements and vice versa. And it, 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 it's it's super fun. I've read the second issue, which comes out in a couple of weeks. I got a sneak preview of that, and it just continues. Uh, like expanding the universe in a really cool way. And it features this really wonderfully monstrous spider creature. Like, um, um, there you go. Have you read it? Uh, so I I haven't read it yet, uh, but uh, obviously I'm I'm I, I'm excited to hear your your rave about it. I was a huge fan of Why the Last Man, uh, and somewhat less of a fan of Ex Machina. It was for me I, I it, was, it was very interesting. I, I think Brian K. Vaughn kind of can't help but be interesting when he writes. Um, but uh, I I've really just been waiting for his next project. Now he's spent the last few years sort of I mean doing various like Hollywood projects, right? I mean I I know that he was writing for. Lost for a little while, and then he was working on the Why the Last Man movie, which I think at this point is sort of not going to happen, correct? Right. He worked for three years on Lost, and I don't know about the status of the movie, mm-hmm. but I do know that he is currently developing um, a Showtime adaptation of Stephen King's novel Under the Dome. So he's sort of involved in that project, mm-hmm. and that, uh, that immediately kind of like uh, again with the likes, Darren. I, I I'm addicted to them. I, I just I need I need to go into rehab. Uh, but yeah, I'm really you're such a valley girl, Jeff. It's it's uh, uh, Southern California. It's a simple it's fact of life. <laughs> Um, well, that's okay. I'm from Northern California, so I'll start saying hella more just to, just to put you more at ease. Um, Thank you. Speaking of things that are hella not cool, uh, Wrath of the Titans is opening tomorrow. Uh, I don't know if we have to say a- a- anything more about it besides that it's opening and we can just move on from there. Do you have any interest in seeing it, Jeff? I probably have 5% more interest in seeing it than I did Clash of the Titans, and I had negative 5% interest in seeing Clash of the Titans. So this kind of washes out to about zero interest. <laughs> but I got to say, the trailer for Wrath of the Titans, it does look better. It, it, that trailer is, I, I, I almost want to say we're living in a golden age of trailers right now, because that trailer, <laughs> I, I, I watched it nonstop for a few days after it came out. It, it's so exciting. It's so thrilling. It, it really sort of convinced me that I actually loved Clash of the Titans more than, <laughs> I, more than I had. But, uh, you know, I, I have to admit, I, I saw the movie at an, at an early screening, and uh, I think your, your 0% excitement is maybe 5% too much for, for it. I think, I think you should, I think you, I, th- I think your expectations should be decidedly more moderate than they than they are right now. So you've um, seen this. So let, let me ask you a question: Is it in 3D? It is in 3D. Uh, I saw it uh, at an IMAX screening, um, and uh, you, you know, I. I, I I am not so cynical as to not just fundamentally have a sort of childlike joy when I see something in IMAX 3D. I mean, you know, I, there's there's a part of me that knows that it's a total cash grab, and there's a part of me that knows that, you know, so often when that happens, you know, it, it wasn't shot in real IMAX, or, you know, they sort of added in 3D and afterwards, but, you know... At, at a certain baseline, I'm I, I'm ready and willing to be wowed. And at a certain point, the issue with the movie is just that it's shot in that sort of modern action style where you can't really luxuriate in the images at all, which to me is sort of like part of the thrill of 3D and IMAX. I mean, that's why we all loved Avatar so much. And, you know, here it's just, I mean, it, 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 it's sort of just strange. It, it, it cuts constantly, and you, there's a lot of times when they're going through the labyrinth when you just literally 
don't know who's doing what, and you don't know which long-haired Greek person is who, and it, it, it was... It was not uh, the most pleasant movie-going experience of my life, I think is what I'm trying to say. So, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> so. Part, part of my cynical orientation toward Wrath of the Titans is the, the failed promise and even sort of betrayed promise of 3D of Clash of the Titans because the big, one of the big headlines on that movie, once we all saw it, was that it was trying to cash in on the post-Avatar like love affair, instant love affair with, you know, 3D fantasy sci-fi filmmaking. And so here comes Clash of the Titans. It was going to be one of these first movies that was going to be of, you know, in 3D post-Avatar. And, um, and it just was so disappointing. And it was very clear that what, what the studio had done was tried to, you know, this is a movie that was not, it didn't feel like it was shot in 3D, but they tried to sort of, you know, in, in, in you know, uh, to, to make it into 3D during post. And it just felt so phony and flat in that regard. And, and, and it, it just contributed to a film that felt overall hollow and empty. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and, and it kind of helped, it was a flashpoint in sort of like the cynicism that began to emerge toward 3D and, and that whole attitude of, oh, it's just a cash grab. It's not a meaningful storytelling device. And hopefully movies like Hugo, for example, that were shot like in 3D with 3D in mind by a master filmmaker who really kind of thought about how do you do this well can sort of reform and rehabilitate the image of 3D filmmaking that sort of that avatar set in motion. I think you're right. Uh, you know, not to be overlooked in you know the overarching cynicism around 3D is that this year, you know, two, you know, we we have a few great filmmakers who are going to be working in there. I mean, you know, obviously we have Prometheus coming up, uh, and then Peter Jackson's Hobbit uh, d- uh, duology is going to be in 3D also. I mean, you know, these are these are people who, you know, you, you sort of have to trust a little bit to at least do something interesting with it. You know, something more interesting than you know Perseus throws his sword out of the screen or you know, <laughs> right. whatever whatever minor innovations uh, we all uh, didn't enjoy in, in Clash of the Titans. Wait, 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 Darren? Sure. Duology? Duology. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. That's, uh... Wow. I love it. Duology. <laughs> That's, uh, that, I, I love that we are uh, contributing greatly to the English language. Listen, the I, I, the my, rise my... of like and you know or the return of, and now new slang, duology. I think, I think we're doing very important work here, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I, will, I will contact Urban Dictionary right away and uh, ma- ma- make sure that uh, we get credit for it. Um, okay. Now, uh, let's move on now to a, a, a slightly longer and uh, I think more interesting topic, uh, you uh, had a lot of questions about Hunger Games last week, uh, and you, in fact, went to go and see the film this weekend. Um, what are your what, what are your thoughts about it? How do you feel about it? Well, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I definitely had some issues with it and some flaws with it. Uh, I saw, I felt like there were some flaws with it. But I, you know, as an in my introduction into this world, as a guy who did not read the book, so I just kind of came to it like. This is going to be my introduction into the cultural phenomenon and world of the Hunger Games. I was instantly hooked. And, you know, the first half of that movie, I, I, I wrote about this for Entertainment Weekly, you know, for EW.com this week. It just has this air of suffocating hopelessness. And I kind of mean that as a compliment. <laughs> um, uh, from, like, from the reaping and these 
these kids that have been drafted into this horrible sick game where it's kill or be killed and you you're you're I, I was riveted and 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 heartbroken and terrified by um this this whole setup and premise and you keep on waiting for someone who's not you know not familiar with this story, I kept on waiting for, okay, she's going to run away, right? She's going to find some way to squirrel out of this. Um, and and I, I kind of think that maybe we needed to see someone try to do that, because I want to know what happens to you if you don't play the game. But regardless, I kept on waiting for that to happen. I keep, I keep on waiting for it to become basically Logan's run. Right. Um, you want to let one of the... And it didn't. So she gets into that tube and she starts going up and she starts like freaking out a little bit. And I was like, wow, they're going to do it. Like she's like, we're going to see kids killing kids. And and lo and behold, at the cornucopia, the slaughter. I mean, it was, you know, in Hollywood, they talk a lot about stakes in these movies and fantasy, science fiction, these big event flicks with heroes versus villains. You need stakes, you need conflict, and you need to feel like it really matters that life and death are at stake. And I think that The Hunger Games is a game changer, Darren, like, because I've never felt life and death stakes in a movie like this, of this genre, so potent and intensified and terrifying. Uh, I've never seen that, in, in, at least in recent memory. And given the phenomenal like box office of this movie you just got to think that hollywood is going to look at this and say wow a big four quadrant movie that brought in young and old adults and kids that has this kind of terrifying life or death stakes what's this going to do for this kind of heroes versus villains um this this kind of like high stakes drama science fiction fantasy stuff like um that's the I thought I thought that made a huge impression on me, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. Well, and now it, it's interesting to, to hear about you know this sort of question of stakes. I mean, uh, you know, what do you think is the echo effect of that? I, I mean, you know, is this you know is is this the point when Hollywood is just you know starts looking at all of those, all the other dystopian and post-apocalyptic YA novels and looking to sort of do something with them, or or do you think? I mean, are you saying you're interested in seeing how this affects just like you know franchise filmmaking in general? I mean, you know, I, one thing that I'm always you know very intrigued by is in this era when you know Iron Man three and Thor two and so many other sequels are coming out. You know, like I think that there's there's a sense of sort of lowered stakes with every new movie. Like, are, are you saying that, like, you know, you, you feel like this is a game changer in the sense that, you know, we aren't just going to settle for, you know, this superhero fights a newer supervillain and, and, and defeats them? What I mean is that I think going forward, if you're a studio exec or if you're a director or a producer with a piece of material that involves good guys versus bad guys, whether it's superheroes or cops or whatever, and you're trying to reach everyone, and you're thinking about the issue of, of, of stakes and what matters in a movie, like The Hunger Games just raises the bar on that. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've never really seen, I mean, this movie goes to the place that we've never really seen movies go to before, at least in recent memory. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a new idea, but kids killing kids. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, Battle Royale, blah, 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 and that we could pull from, you know, history uh, going back centuries of, like, you know, children dying in horrible games, you know. 
But in terms of this kind of movie, I mean, Harry Potter never had the kinds of stakes that you feel in Hunger Games. Do you agree? Yeah, well, I mean, in, in Harry Potter, uh, you know, I think it, it was a combination of the fact that, you know, uh, when people did die, you know, at least until that last book, it was usually sort of supporting characters or it was, you know, handled in a sort of very different way where, you know, it was, it was off, it, like the blow was often very softened in some way. Whereas here, you know, there is just the sort of stark reality of kids dying and the only thing that you know is really you know the, the, the only pomp that, that that greets that is the sound of a single cannon shot and then they're just right. dead i mean i but, i do think yeah, that, I, I just think that like if you're a studio exec and you're looking at a script these days that has a, a movie in which you have heroes trying to pursue something and they're being thwarted by villains um or trying to stop a villain um you're thinking like, you know, how do we make people believe in the stakes of this movie? How do we people feel, how do we make people feel that people are in genuine jeopardy? And how do I do it in a post Hunger Games age that makes that, that in, in which audiences have now witnessed the ultimate kinds of horrifying stakes, kids killing kids, um, where the jeopardy, the feeling of jeopardy, the feeling of stakes in that movie are so intense how do we capture, how do we match that kind of intensity? Mm-hmm. I think that's, a, that's something that, you know, may, maybe studios kind of say, what I mean by game changer is, maybe studios say, well, we don't want to be like Hunger Games, or we don't need to be like Hunger Games. I'm just saying that has now entered the conversation and their, mm-hmm. and, and, and their creative thinking about issues of, of, of conflict, and, conflict and stakes in movies. Well, now, and uh, what you're saying, I, I think, brings up for me one of the most interesting things about the movie, which is that, you know, this is, this is a film about children killing children, and, you know, I, I, it deals with a lot of... I think it's I think it's fair to say heavy topics uh, that run alongside of that. You know, besides that, there's certainly a lot to, a lot there about you know totalitarianism and the media and stuff. My kind of quibble with it is honestly, I, I had a sort of real moral quandary with the fact that it was rated PG-13. Um, I, I, I mean, uh, you know, at at a certain point, I, I think the film runs into this odd slippery slope where, by turning the book, which you know was written for young adults, but which was very unflinching in in, in a lot of ways, in uh, you know in in a in a way that the movie really couldn't capture, because you know very often you're sort of cutting away very quickly, or you know you're sort of having the you know even at at the cornucopia there's that sort of like you know quick shot of blood and then someone running away, and it, you know it, it it all goes very silent and things like that. I I, I kind of found myself feeling a little bit like. The Hunger Games movie fell into the trap of the Hunger Games themselves, which is they sort of turn what I think should be a little bit more repulsive into mass entertainment. And you know, again, I I don't want to be like a a schoolmarm here or anything. I mean, you know, the, the movie is totally thrilling, and obviously they weren't looking to make a uh, you know Socratic dialogue on the nature of of violence in in the media. But I, I as as a reader of the book, I, I was surprised to see how uh, the film sort of felt as if it had sandpapered off some of the sharper edges. One thing that's interesting is that uh, you actually uh, pointed this out in your article uh, on EW.com. Uh, a big part of the book is, you know, it's narrated by Katniss, and you're, you know, narrated in the present tense, and, you know, you really just feel as if, you know, she's whispering in your, in, in your ear, you know, frighteningly whispering in your ear as she's, you know, running for her life, is that she is sort of playing up this whole sort of notion of the romance between her and PETA, and you actually 
she said that you sort of picked up on that a little bit, but it wasn't that developed in the movie. Uh, would you wanted to see more of that, or you know, or, or, or even, even you know, what do you what do you think about the whole PG thirteen question? I, I guess should be the first thing we talk about. All right, let's yeah, let, let's take that apart. I couldn't disagree with you more about the feeling of violence and and in PG thirteen. I had ha, um, ha, um, I'm sorry. That's Please fine. edit this. Please edit this silence out. Please, please, please edit this, Devin. Please edit this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, as a guy who hadn't read the book, that scene was plenty horrifying. That scene was plenty affecting. It didn't need to be any more bloody for me. It didn't need to be any more graphic to, to, to be as impactful as it was. I got it. Like, so much is accomplished by the feeling of dread and hopelessness that is, mount, that is developed through, through all the scenes that lead up to that moment. And then when you realize it's going to happen and it goes down, it is chilling. And, it's exa- and, and it, the, the effect that, that, that I should have as an audience member, and I think that like where I would disagree with you is that I think that Gary Ross needed to make a movie for all people, but especially people who know nothing about the Hunger Games. I think that's the only way that you can make this movie. You can't make this movie with like, okay, now I need to jack up the violence here in order to make an impression on people who are so well-versed in this story. They know what's coming, and they're going to need that kind of explicitness to jolt them anew. Um, I think that he needed to make it for all audiences, and he needed to make it from an uh, uh, because I mean that was ultimately what was required. We could have a whole separate conversation about whether or not there needed to be an R-rated Hunger Games for only adults. But this was obviously a young adult novel that appealed to all ages, and he needed to kind of and, and he did his job, is what I'm saying. And I think he did his job against in, in the context that he needed to do his job, which was make it for people who know nothing about Hunger Games, pretend like you don't know anything about Hunger Games, and it was effective. He he he. It was effectively chilling, and I mean it, it, it's a risk, you know, because if that first part of the movie isn't building that dread, isn't amping up those stakes, then yeah, the slaughter at the cornucopia is not going to work without seeing like hardcore violence. But he effectively did his job in the first part of the movie, and it, there was that payoff there. And uh, so I, I didn't need it to be any edgier in order to be as effective in order to be effective. Oh, that's 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 fair enough. And and, and again, like I, I I don't want to miss I don't want to uh, you know misrepresent. I, I I do think it was a very well made you know sort of Hollywood entertainment. Um, and you know as far as like the pure tension of that first half, I think that's great. I also don't think it should have been edgier in any way. I mean, it, it I, I guess to me it just comes down to one thing that you get out of the books more so than you know anything that they particularly leave out is you know, the this sort of real repulsion of just, like, how awful the violence being done to these children is. And, you know, both the violence that they do, they do to themselves and the violence that, you know, the capital and, you know, their sort of, you know, totalitarian overseers cause them to feel. It it feels to me a little bit as if it it's, it's sort of letting the audience off easy to... Uh, turn that into, uh, I think, a sort of somewhat cheapened Bourne-style thriller. At, at the same time, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any way 
that they could have captured that without having an R rating, because after all, we're talking about a rating system which just gave a documentary about bullies an R rating for four F words. So right, right. <laughs> Look, there, like, there, there are certain I, studio realities here that I'm very aware of. Yeah, <laughs> right. Darren, there's, there's, there's some things in there that I totally agree with, and I want to agree with them in a second. I, I, but when it comes to the issue of violence and the issue of kids fi- killing kids, um, I was I was significantly repulsed. <laughs> I was I was good to no, hear. Well, I was repulsed, and and my son was repulsed. My son, eleven, who loves playing Halo. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I let my eleven-year-old son play Halo. Good for you. Um, and uh, and 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 and, but he he knows the difference between fantasy violence and real violence, and he recognized something in the Hunger Games, which was it was dealing with a slightly grittier, slightly more real violence than he deals with in video games, where he's going around and killing aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you got to the scene, when we got to the, the scene at the cornucopia where the slaughter ensues, he didn't want to watch. Mm-hmm. He just turned away. And 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 the first thing I you know when we got out of the movie theater, I said to him. Did you like it? And he goes, yeah, I liked it, but it was it was really scary. And he said something that was scary. And he said something really touching. He goes, you know, if I was Katniss, like I would have found my friend Peta, and I would have grabbed a bag of food, and I just like run as far away as we possibly could, and like made a camp and just waited for it to all be over. You know, like, and I was like, wow. I mean, like, he was really affected by it. It didn't need to be that's any good. more violent. But well, look, well, that's, that's... It, it did it did it did soften the media satire. It did leave the audience off the hook. I completely agree with that. Like, in, in terms of the implicit critique that's going on there of how, you know, we in the audience or any kind of audience member both sort of, you know, is, is, is aghast by the dehumanization that we see on TV, and yet we support it with our viewership and we support it with our consumption of sponsors' products and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, our own sort of hypocrisy when it comes to this kind of thing. I feel like it did soften that point and uh, and, and 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 kind of what, what was a was a, was a fail in that regard. Well, but the 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 important information, Jeff, is that you've taught your son well, and, and he is very prepared for the <laughs> for the post apocalypse, which is which is really that's that's the most important thing to, to take away from all of this. Um, yes, I, I, and I, that's the only thing I've succeeded at as a parent, <laughs> by the way. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's Entertainment Geekly podcast. We'll be back next week to decompress from the season premiere of Game of Thrones. And more importantly, we'll be talking about the hotly anticipated horror thriller Cabin in the Woods. Jeff, thanks very much. Great to talk to you, man. You too, Darren. Take care.